Good morning once again, and welcome to those that are listening on the radio and watching on Facebook. We have much to be thankful for, and we hope that you are able to reflect on those blessings with your loved ones this week. Also, as you gather together with your family, reliving shared memories and creating a few new ones. And we will now have our call to worship. So if those are still standing or seated, please rise and follow along with me. This call to worship is taken from Psalm 6. Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. Heal me, Lord, for my body, my bones are in agony. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord, how long? Turn, Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. Among the dead, no one proclaims your name. Who praises you from the grave? I am worn out from my groaning. All night long, I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak in sorrow. They fail because of my foes. Away from me, all you who do evil. For the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies will be overwhelmed with shame and anguish. They will turn back and suddenly be put to shame. Let us now join the praise team and sing, Raise a Hallelujah, King of Kings, and Gratitude.
David who's going to face our Goliath and say I don't care what you stand for but in the name of Jesus I come against you the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but they are mighty for tearing down strongholds that stronghold, the weapons that we use is our praises unto him will you be willing to praise him no matter your circumstances, no matter the giants you're facing will we be able to raise a hallelujah let's praise the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit
Father, we come before you in prayer at this time and give you thanks. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to come before you with our prayers and with our concerns. And we know with confidence, Lord, that you not only hear these prayers, but you answer our prayers according to your will and what's best for us. We take time during this Thanksgiving season and reflect back on the year we have and the blessings that you have poured out before us. We thank you for our families. We thank you for our friends. We thank you for this church family and the godly individuals that you have placed in our lives to help lead us and direct us in a walk with you. We thank you for Pastor Joel. We thank you for Pastor Tori in each of their families, Lord. And we just pray that you continue to work through them and allow the Holy Spirit to guide them as they help lead us in the understanding of your word. Lord, we thank you for all you're doing here at First Church and the movement that we continue to see throughout this church body. We know, Lord, that you are behind all of this. And I pray that you would help us just to stay focused on your will. Allow the Holy Spirit to lead us and allow this church to become the church that you want us to be. Help us to be your hands and feet in this world. Help us to stand firm to your word and to not waver from it. 
Help us to be a light in this darkness. And Lord, just pray that we would stay focused on you being the head of First Church. I pray for those in this church family that are dealing with health concerns. Please provide healing to each one of them. Comfort them, we pray. Help them to know that you are with them. And I pray that you would take away any pain and anxiety and suffering that they may be experiencing. For even our, in our toughest times, Lord, your word in Romans 8 reminds us that in all things you work for the good of those who love you. Help us to remember this as we face the challenges of this world. When we live in the world, Lord, it seems so dark right now. And the sin that's pressing down on us, help us to remember that you have everything in control. And we thank you for always working in our lives. Lord, I pray for our communities and the schools in this community. Lord, I pray that you would just pour out your blessings upon New Knoxville and the surrounding areas. Protect our children from the sins of this world and help them to be filled with your spirit at a young age. Lord, we pray that they would just grow up to know you. Fill our children with knowledge, your knowledge, and help them to be bold in their faith and to not shy away from what others are telling them. Lord, I pray that you continue to be with our nation and those that lead us. For we are so blessed to live in a country that allows us the freedom to gather together and worship you. Lord, I pray especially that you would be with our leaders at this time. Soften their hearts. Open their eyes to your truth. Help them to seek your wisdom. And please provide discernment in their thoughts and their actions as they lead this country. I pray now that you would bless the remainder of this service and open up our hearts. Allow us to hear what it is you need us to hear this morning. Please be with Joel as he provides the message you've placed on his heart. And help each of us not only to hear but to put into action the message that he teaches to us today. Help us to remove any distractions in our thoughts at this time and help us to stay focused on you. We ask all of this in Jesus' name, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For I is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Now we ask the children come forward for children's chat. you guys. Some of them got your Christmas outfits on already, don't you, huh? You do. Very pretty, Brady. Come on. Good morning. Good morning. Ah, great. When you woke up this morning, did you want to get up? No. Yeah, you did? Yeah. Yeah, the sun was the sun wake you up? 
Did you stretch? Show me how you stretch in the morning. Everybody stretch. Wake up. Oh, my goodness. What was the first thing you thought about when you woke up this morning? Yes? <laughs> Breakfast, of course. What else? What did you think about? Sunday school. Awesome. Going back to sleep. Going back to sleep. That's a, going back to sleep. That's a good one. What did you think about? Brush your teeth. Well, that's good, too. Well, you know what? Did you, do you ever pray to God when you first wake up in the morning? Do you? Before breakfast, do you ever pray when you wake up and go, oh, instead of going, oh, it's a school day. And do you ever go, thank you, God, for a new day. Do you ever do that? No. Why not? Now, there are some of us older people that definitely pray that. Thank you for a new day. But you know, God gives us a new day 365 times a year. Did you realize that? 365 times a year. And in our Bible verse today, you listen real close when they read it. And it's going to say, his love, which is God's love, never fails. It is new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. So God's love is new every morning. We get a do-over every morning to be the best that we can be for God. The Bible gives us that something new every day. It says his love never fails, and great is his faithfulness. Isn't that awesome? That is pretty awesome. So when you wake up in the morning, you say, let's, let's do this every morning. I'm going to give you an assignment, okay, a fun assignment. You get up in the morning, and you say a real short prayer. It doesn't have to be... You eat your breakfast when you wake up? Yeah. Yeah. Well, what you, what you need to do is say a real quick prayer. You wake up and you go, oh, you stretch. And then you go, thank you for mom and dad. You yawn all the time. Yeah. Well, I'm sure, listen, you thank Jesus in the morning, and then you eat your breakfast. Yeah, yeah. Yeah? Okay, sounds good. But it doesn't have to be a big fancy prayer. It can just be a little prayer. Hi. Hi. I'm going to wear my Santa Claus suit next week. Did you want to share something? God for your food, your parents. If your dog sleeps with you, he comes up and licks you in the face. Thank you, God, for my pet. He loves me. Just little short prayers in the morning. Little short thank you prayers. They didn't have to be long and elaborate. And you can say every new day gives you a chance to love one another. That's one of God's rules, isn't it? And to forgive one another. And gives us a chance to learn and grow more about God. So you have to remind yourself 
to do that. Now, I've got little post-it notes over there like this. You know what you do with those? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. You write things on them? Yeah. And you post them around? What's this week, Thanksgiving? So you and your family can write things you're thankful for and post them where mom and dad says it's okay to post them, okay? And then you think about everything you want to thank God for, but every morning when you wake up and you stretch, thank you, God, for giving me a brand new day because your love never fails me. It's new every day, and great is your faithfulness. Let us say a prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for each new day. Thank you for all these children. They're such a blessing. Thank you for your love, which is new each day, and your everlasting faithfulness. Help us to start each new day with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And there's little post-it notes for each one of you there. Amen. Don't forget to grab one as you guys head back to your seats. Thank you, Carolyn, for that wonderful children's chat and a good reminder for all of us to be thankful and to, to start our day off by remembering the Lord and his goodness towards us. One thing I want to highlight for you as the choir comes forward, uh, many of you probably saw these small devotionals at the entrances of the church. Uh, this is the Christmas devotional that we are providing for you this year. So if you'd like to pick up a copy, grab one on your way out of church. You can take a couple, give one to a friend, a neighbor. Uh, but these are available for free, and we want to encourage you to uh, use these as a way to prepare your heart for the Christmas season. Uh, the devotional begins on December 1st, so we'll have them available this Sunday, next Sunday, and going forward. Uh, but I encourage you to pick one up and grab it. It is called uh, The Christmas Code. It's a very short one, but one of the things I like about this is that each day there's a, a word, a code word, for you to think about and why, how it relates to the gospel story. And so I encourage you to pick one up and use it as a, as a family or as individuals this Christmas season. Uh, our offering today does support the Outreach and Evangelism Fund, so let me pray and thank the Lord for an opportunity to give back to Him as we take up this offering. Father God, we are so grateful for the opportunity and blessing it is to give back to You out of the abundance that You have given us. And so we pray that, you're, uh, this, that You would bless this offering this morning to further the work of Your kingdom in this church and in this community. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. I invite the deacons to come forward at this time.
Today's scripture reading comes from Lamentations 3, verses 19 through 26. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him. To the one who seeks him, it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning and to worship you with your people. I thank you for everyone that is here in the sanctuary as well as those listening on the radio and watching online. Lord, I pray that you would work in a mighty way in our hearts and our lives right now. I pray your Holy Spirit would soften our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us today. And may you give me words to speak, words that are honoring and pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Last Sunday afternoon, we had an opportunity to uh, gather here at the sanctuary for our first hymn sing. Um, I had a couple of people tell me afterwards, I don't remember when the last time we did something like that. And honestly, I'm not sure if, if we've ever done it before, at least definitely not in the seven plus years that I've been here. Uh, but one of the things that struck me during that time together was uh, the song, Be Still My Soul. Um, that was a song, I think it was one of the ones that was requested from the floor. And as we were singing that song, it struck me how powerful those words are. That song, that hymn is, is a lament, and it's looking to the Lord for strength during difficult times. You see, laments are an important part of worship, of our, of our relationship with God that we often don't think about too much. In fact, Laments are important because we all struggle with the reality of sin in this world and our own lives and the brokenness that we experience every day. If we look at the Psalms, just taking an example, example from the Psalms themselves, roughly one third of the Psalms themselves are laments, are prayers or songs of grief, crying out to the Lord for help and for deliverance. See, laments can and should be an important part of how we do things, right? How we relate to God and how we relate to each other. Yet, unfortunately, most of us just like to focus on the positive side of things, right? We like to sing songs that are, that are joyful. We like to sing songs that are, that focus on the blessings. And those are good and right to do. But a lament plays an important part of our walk with the Lord. In fact, there's a book in our Old Testament called Lamentations, right? Which is a, a lament that the prophet Jeremiah wrote after the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple. And so we're going to be looking at a passage from Lamentations right at the center of it. But we can't help but read through the Old Testament, read through the Psalms, read through something like the book of Lamentations. And, and I feel like even if we can't relate specifically to the events that are happening here, we can certainly relate to the feeling, certainly relate to the desire to call out to God for help. You see, we all go through difficult times in our lives, difficult seasons, and lament is a tool 
that God gives us to help us through those times, to help us process what is going on in our lives. And there's kind of two layers of lament that we see in the book of Lamentations and and, and we can experience in our own lives as well. First, there is this corporate lament. And that's what you see in the first two chapters of Lamentations. Jeremiah the prophet is lamenting the fall of Jerusalem. It's a, it's a shared experience that all of God's people are going through at that time. And Jeremiah and the, the narrative of the Old Testament make it very clear that the, the destruction of Jerusalem, the fall of, uh, the destruction of the temple and the fall of Jerusalem are the result of the sin and idolatry of God's people. In fact, Scripture makes it very clear that this is the judgment of God for that sin. And it shouldn't have come as a surprise to anyone because all the way back in Leviticus chapter 26, God warns them that if they do not uphold the covenant, if they do not obey the Lord, they will be subject to uh, destruction and exile. In fact, God sent prophets like Jeremiah and others over and over and over again to warn them that this would happen if they did not turn away from their sin and their idolatry and turn back to the Lord. And yet here they are, they find themselves uh, in the very consequence that they had been warned about over and over again. And so Jeremiah laments about the, the destruction and the shared experience that all of God's people leaven happened in America. Right? For those of you who are uh, old enough to remember that time, which I know it's hard to believe there's some of you here who aren't, but for those of you who are old enough to remember that time, you remember that, that shared experience that all Americans went through after 9-11. Right? There was this corporate grief, this corporate mourning, this corporate desire for, to, to cry out to the Lord for help. I heard somebody say, and I don't know if there's actual statistics to back this up, but they said, that the Sunday after 9-11 was one of the most well-attended church Sundays across America in the history of this country. People were crying out for something bigger than themselves. They were lamenting what they had, what we had all just experienced. Even if you were not directly impacted by the attacks on that day, you still experienced that corporate lament. And so that's what Jeremiah is doing here. There's this corporate lament that's happening in the first two chapters of Lamentations. But then at the beginning of chapter 3, that lament turns personal. And that's the second layer. There's a personal side to lament. When you are struggling with something that, that maybe other people can't relate to or maybe other people don't even know about. Jeremiah laments the, the persecution and the hardship that he is experiencing because the Lord called him to this difficult ministry. Now, it's, we must be clear, right? The Lord is not guilty of sin for allowing Jerusalem to fall, for allowing Jeremiah to experience the hardships that he was going through. The Bible makes it very clear that the Lord is not guilty of that sin, and yet it is the Lord who is who is judging Israel and its people. It is the Lord who called Jeremiah to this very difficult ministry where he would face opposition and hardship. From the very outset of Jeremiah's ministry, the Lord is very clear that, that the people aren't going to listen to him. In fact, Jeremiah experienced imprisonment. He was thrown into a cistern and left for dead. And eventually, at the end of the book of Jeremiah, he's carried off to Egypt against his will by some of the survivors in Israel. So Jeremiah experienced very difficult things. And in the beginning of chapter 3, the first half of chapter 3, 
He is talking about how the Lord is, is doing these things to him. And you can't help but wonder, is it okay to talk to God like that, right? Many of you have probably wanted to talk to God like that, but, but you wonder, is it even okay to do it? Well, we have, that's what lament is for. Lament gives us the language to express our fear, to express our doubt, to express our pain and our grief and even our anger because the Lord is big enough to handle it. See, Scripture over and over again reminds us that the Lord hears and responds to the prayers of His people. And yes, even their laments. As I said, a third of the Psalms are laments. And I think the reason why God gave us those Psalms was to give us the language to to express our, our anger, our fear, our doubts to the Lord. He invites us to do that. In the book of Job, we all, we all are familiar with the story of Job, right? It's a man who lost everything. Lost his family, lost his health, lost his wealth. And throughout the book of Job, he, he complains, right? He, he, he lets the Lord hear his complaint. And at the end of Job, when the Lord finally shows up, the Lord commends Job for doing that. And you think, why in the world is God commending Job for, for complaining and, and letting his anger and his grief known? And I think the answer is that, that God was, excuse me, Job was directing his anger, his grief, his doubts, his questions to God. He allowed his grief to bring him to the Lord. And he expressed his concerns directly to him. See, God is big enough to handle our fears, our doubts, our anger. And, and let's be completely honest, He already knows we're feeling that way anyways, right? right? You can't hide your emotions from the Lord. You can't hide how you're feeling. If you're upset, God already knows about it. So it does no good to hide it from Him. And God is certainly big enough to handle our questions. Again, throughout Scripture, God is a God who hears and responds to His people. And so He invites us to lament. He invites us to bring those things to Him. But that's not all. Right Right there at the center of Lamentations, the Scripture passage that Connor just read for us, there's this hope, there's a turning in this lament to God. Lamentations three nineteen through 26 is like this diamond in the center of, of Lamentations. It's hope that is formed in the, in the pressure and the, the suffering of life. Like coal that is formed at the, the center of the earth due to pressure and heat. It turns into a diamond. So God can bring good things out of our suffering. See, suffering has a way of turning us back to the Lord if we let it. Suffering has a way of, God has a way of using suffering to produce something good in us that otherwise may not be possible. God can use our suffering for His glory and for our good. You see, when, when we suffer, we realize that we have nowhere else to go or nowhere else to turn. See, sometimes I think people who don't suffer in great ways, I mean, everybody suffers to one extent or another, but but people who don't have any major experiences of suffering in their life, they have, have, there's a chance that they go through life without ever realizing how much they need the Lord. 
because they have everything they need. They can, they, they have all of their needs met. And so they never have an opportunity to, to turn to the Lord in, in need and cry out to Him. But suffering has a way to produce that in us. Suffering has a way to, to shape us and to mold us if we turn to God in the midst of it. See, Peter recognized that. In John chapter 6, Jesus had just, had just uh, taught some things, and some of the people that had been following him decided to leave and desert him at that point. So Jesus turns to his disciples and said, all right, are you going to leave me now too? And Peter, in that moment, he has this great expression of faith. He says, Lord, you alone have the words of life. Where else can we go? We have come to believe that you are the Holy One of God. See, that's what lament does for us. It brings us to the point where we say, listen, I got nowhere else to go. I'm confused. I'm angry. I have doubts. I have questions. But you alone, Lord, have the words of life. See, that's hope, isn't it? Hope is not wishful thinking. Hope isn't just wanting something to happen. But hope, in a biblical sense, is the sure confidence that God will do what He promises to do. And so we can hold on to those promises of God even in the face of difficulties, even in the face of our struggles. We can hold on to the promises of God with sure confidence that He will do what He says He will do. See, at the core of lament, at the core of of this invitation that God gives us to bring our concerns and our, our doubts and questions to Him is the sure, confident hope that God is loving, that God is compassionate, that God is faithful, and He will do what He promises to do. And that's exactly what Jeremiah turns to here in this passage. First of all, in these first opening verses, he recognizes that that to lament is not to ignore the reality of a suffering, but to bring it to God. This in the gall, I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. You see, the first thing we need to do is is choose not to ignore our suffering, but to bring it to the Lord. See, there's two things that we often do when we face difficult times. One is we ignore it, right? Sometimes when, when we're struggling and when we're going through hard times, we just, we think we gotta just put on a good, put on a good face, smile, pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and just keep going. But it does us no good to ignore the pain or the hardship that we're going through. It's a movie I loved when I was a kid and, and, it's a, I know my parent, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. I used to quote this thing all the time. They probably will tell you stories about it. But um, for those of you who are not familiar, it's a, it's a, it's a comedy sketch from, uh, from back in like the 70s from Great Britain. But it's, it's retelling the story of Arthur and, and uh, the Knights of the Round Table. And at one point in the movie, they encounter this black knight who is guarding a bridge. And when they encounter him, he refuses to let him pass. And so he forces them to fight a duel in order to gain passage. And so Arthur reluctantly takes up a sword and fights, and with one swing he cuts off the Black Knight's arm and says, all right, I've won, let's go. And the Black Knight looks at him and says, nope, just a scratch. Let's just, it's just a scratch, let's keep going. 
And so Arthur's like, really, guy? Come on. And so he cuts off his other arm, and now he's got both arms missing. And he says, oh, it's just a flesh wound. Let's go. And he just starts hopping towards them. Eventually, Arthur has to cut off both arms, both legs, and he still wants to fight. He, does, he refuses to acknowledge the wounds. He refuses to acknowledge the pain. And eventually, Arthur and his knights just roll on past them. But we do that too, don't we? We go through hard times, we go through difficulties, and we say, oh, it's just a scratch. It's no big deal. It's just a flesh wound. But when we're really hurting and struggling inside. So when we lament, we, we, we acknowledge our pain. We do not ignore it. But the second thing we sometimes do is we dwell on it. All right, and that's the other end of the spectrum. Instead of ignoring it, we just sit in it and refuse to do anything with it. And we, we, know, we choose not to move on and do something about with our laments. And so instead of dwelling on it, we, we need to acknowledge it, but we need to bring it to the Lord. We need to lift our eyes past our pain, past our situation, and set our sights on Jesus. And so it does us no good to ignore the pain, and it does us no good to dwell on it. Instead, in lament, we, we bring ourselves and our situation to the Lord and ask for Him to redeem it, ask for Him to help. That's where our hope lies. And Jeremiah acknowledges, right, in verses 22 through 24, he talks about God's character. You see, that's why we have hope. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you're experiencing, you have hope because of God's unchanging character. His love, His compassion, His faithfulness, His goodness. Right? Those things are what sustain us during difficult times. And so it is, our hope is not based on our circumstances. It's not based on our ability to, to, to just smile and, and get through it. Our hope is based firmly on the character and the promises of God. That He is loving. That He is compassionate. That He is faithful. And those things will never run out. You see, that hope is based on God's unchanging character and the fact that He is infinite. So, so God is unchanging. Right? We change all the time, don't we? As people, we are, we are fickle. We are happy one day and we are sad the next. We, what, we are, we are very much, um, subject to our circumstances at times, right? And so, we are gonna change over time. We are going to, uh, have different feelings from day to day. And so our human experience, we, we project that onto God and we think He's gonna change just like we do. And so we wonder, will God love me today? Is God compassionate today or has he had enough of me? And so we can trust that God is never going to change because he's not fickle like us. He is, he is always loving, always compassionate, always faithful because those characteristics are based on his character and he does not change. Scripture says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. Three times in the book of Revelation, the Lord says that, that He is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. In other words, He does not change. He is the same in the beginning and in the end and in every point in between. God does not change. And so if He has been loving and compassionate in the past, we, we can know with certainty that He will be that again. and He will still be that in the future. And God is infinite, which means that his, not only does he not change, but he's never going to run out of love or compassion or mercy for us. 
Again, we are limited and our experiences are limited and finite. You know, you all know I have two children and and if I had two cookies to give them, if I gave both of those cookies to Miles, then I'd have nothing to give to Josephine, right? And that would not, she would not be too happy about that, right? I only have limited resources. I can only do so much. I only have so much time and energy to give to other people. But God is infinite, right? He's never going to run out of His love or His mercy. He is going to pour it out on each and every one of His children, and that supply is never going to run dry. A great example of that is the manna that God supplied to His people in the wilderness. Every day they went out, and every day they were able to collect what they needed to survive. They didn't have to collect more. They didn't have to hoard it, because every morning they went out, and there was more manna on the ground for them to collect. And for 40 years, God provided for his people in that way. There was always enough. See, God does not change. He is infinite. And as Jeremiah says here, his, his mercies are new every morning. Which means every day we get to experience his love, his compassion, his faithfulness anew every day. But like that manna in the wilderness, right? we need to go out and collect it, don't we? Right, We have an opportunity to go to the Lord every morning, and Carolyn set this up very well in her children's chat. Every day we have an opportunity to, to go to the Lord and, and experience that anew. He invites us to go out and collect that manna every day, to experience His love, to experience His mercies, to experience His faithfulness. And we do that through the Word and through prayer. We do that by worshiping with other brothers and sisters in Christ. We do that by committing ourselves to Him every day. And when we do that, we experience the unending, never-ending compassion of God. And so God invites us to seek Him. Those last, that's what those last two verses remind, invite us to do. God is good to those whose hope is in Him, to the one who seeks Him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Two times in these last few verses, he invites us to wait on the Lord. Now, waiting is not a passive activity, right? He's not inviting us to just, you know, twiddle our thumbs and, and, and hope that one day he shows up. But to wait is, is active. It's a, it's a statement of trust and hope. It's choosing to put your faith in God no matter what your circumstances are. And we wait on God's plan and on God's timing. Right? God's, God's got a plan, doesn't He? God's got a purpose for you and for me and for this world that we live in. And our job as believers is not to convince God to do things our way, but to but His way. Proverbs 3, 5-6 through 6 reminds us to, to lean not on our own understanding, but to trust in the Lord with all our heart. Right? When we do that, right, when we learn to, to not put our hope in ourselves, but put our hope in God, it gives us the strength to, to wait on Him. If God always answered all of my prayers the way I wanted them to, my life would look very different than it is right now, right? I mean, you guys could probably all say, say the same thing. You've prayed for things over the course of your life, and it didn't turn out that way. And there's something, you know, and I don't mean that in a like big sense or, or, or in a fickle sense, but, but the reality is we think we know what's best for us. 
But what we need to do is trust that God's plan is perfect, even if it is hard, even if it is not the plan that we have chosen for ourselves. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And we want it done in our timing, don't we? We often think, we, we think that, we think that, uh, excuse me, we are impatient people. We want things done in our own timing, in our own way. But God is, His timing is perfect. And so we need to make sure that we are putting our trust in Him and in His timing, not ourselves. We are impatient people. Nobody likes to wait in a waiting room, right? The doctor tells you to show up 15 minutes early and then you end up waiting 15 minutes after the time of your appointment to go and be seen, right? But no, nobody likes to be sitting there in the waiting room biding your time. But yet that is often what the Lord invites us to do, to wait on Him and on His timing. And in that waiting is when we learn to trust Him all the more. When we're in that period of, of already but not yet. When we're in that period of we know the promises, we know the hope, we experience God's love and His grace and His mercy, but yet we're still in the midst of our circumstances and our situation. That is the space and that is the place where we learn to trust Him all the more. You see, it's important to see how <clears throat> the hope that God gives us in the midst of our suffering. See, there's a lot of other worldviews or world religions out there that that don't really offer much hope when it comes to suffering. Christianity, and particularly the gospel of Jesus Christ, is the only thing that gives us hope. If you are a secular humanist, right, if you believe that there is no uh, spiritual um, higher power, right, then all you see is all you get. That your suffering doesn't mean anything because it's all random chance and there's, there's nothing after this life, so you just live, you die, and that's it. Where's the hope in that? If you, are, uh, if you believe in you know, Eastern religions like Buddhism or Hinduism, they, they offer explanations, but they don't offer much hope. A Buddhist will tell you that you have to rise above your suffering, that you have to experience nirvana, because suffering isn't even real to begin with. Now, we can all say that we have experienced real suffering in this world, so that doesn't do it for me. Now, Hinduism will say that, that it's based on karma, that your suffering that you experience in this life is the consequence of decisions that you made in previous lives. And if you just learn to do better, you'll have less suffering next time around. Again, that doesn't redeem suffering. It makes you responsible for it. But the cross of Christ is the only thing that redeems our suffering and makes sense of this world. Because in Jesus we see our, the God that we worship, the God that created us, enter into our suffering and take it upon Himself. Jesus became like us in order to, to take our suffering and our shame, all of it, upon Himself. The very sin that is the root of suffering to begin with in this world, He took it upon Himself and died on that cross. And in doing so, He redeems our suffering. He conquers our suffering. And that one day we have the hope, yes, the confident hope that our suffering will end because Jesus will establish his kingdom here on this earth and all that are in Christ will experience his blessing, will experience a new heavens, a new earth that is completely absent of suffering and shame. See, Jesus entered into our suffering. He took it upon himself 
to deliver us from the very presence of suffering itself. And yes, we still experience it in part here and now, but we have the hope that one day it will be eradicated. That is the gospel. That is what lament drives us to, the hope of Christ, the cross and the empty tomb. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your day, this day. We thank you the, for the privilege we have to come to you. And yes, Lord, we come to you with everything we have, our joys and, and, and our thanksgiving, but also with our lament and our grief. We bring it all to you, Lord, because you meet us there. And it's in that space that you bring healing and redemption. And we acknowledge that all of that is only possible through Jesus Christ through his death and his resurrection. That is our hope, Lord. That is what we cling to in the dark nights that we experience. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to stand at this, at this time and sing our closing hymn. We're going to sing number 43, Great is Thy Faithfulness. If anybody would like prayer about anything, uh, I'll be up front to pray with you.
Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. You may go in peace.